Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists. Honest, determined and ambitious are three qualities of a Scorpio and the next guest for Afternoon Delight is nothing but those qualities and more. It's honestly such a great interview to be sharing this interview. I think this interview is probably one of the most, maybe I would say controversial interviews I've done in Afternoon Delight so far. Um, I've known this drag queen since 2015. We went to Raja together in Glasgow. It was kind of one of my first ventures in drag that was outside of Edinburgh that wasn't actually with any of my friends in Edinburgh, which was wild. Um, Jamie has been such an amazing powerhouse in the drag scene across everywhere because they've done drag in Edinburgh and in Australia and they are such a fantastic performer and dancer. Their drag alter ego is Blaze, however, because of the nature of the interview, I'm going to be discussing Jamie's work out of drag and Jamie's work as Blaze. Blaze, oh my god, I I used to always joke that Blaze was kind of my wife in drag and that we were a lesbian um, power couple because I was a cutesy Barbie and she was the sort of gorgeous um, real housewife of Edinburgh, basically. Um, It was so, so wild. Um, We went to this amazing night in Glasgow was so funny. Uh, we ended up getting a hotel room for free because the manager just wanted us to shut up because we were in someone else's room making a noise, um, trying to have a laughter party. Got free sandwiches. Um, came back on the bus the next day, absolutely dying with a fear. It was it was just wild. It was such a great weekend in Glasgow, and I think that was literally like my second weekend I'd ever had in Glasgow. Um, what a way to start that. Um, controversy an amazing Prince song, but also, um, unfortunately, you've got a thing in the drag community that often can be a bit of drama. I don't think anything we've said is drama-related. I think we're just speaking um, from the heart, which a Scorpio and Aquarius both do very much. Um, Pride was such an amazing weekend for me and Jamie. Um, when Blaze was doing Pride, the the room was electric, the atmosphere was electric. Everything just had lightning across the sky. I was very poorly. However, the only thing that was getting me through that was the love and the atmosphere that everyone had for me despite me being ill. And I was hosting. So it's very interesting that no one would realise we got so much slack behind the scenes. And I hated that. I really did. I hated that, you know, Pride is such an amazing protest, march, event. We're coming together in the queer community, loving one another. But a lot of people didn't feel that way and didn't want to engage with it that way. And all I can say now is I hope a lot of us have learnt from our mistakes in the past and we can listen to the Madonna of drag, as I infamously called her, um, blazes words of wisdom on professionalism because unfortunately I hate to say this, the arts across the board is built on professionalism 
and you don't get things handed to you in this world. You just don't. It should be easier, but no one gets anything handed to them. That's just a life lesson. But let's get to the person who knows most about that. Give it up for Jamie Grandison, or as you would know in drag, Blaze. Hello everyone, welcome back to Happening Delight with me, Jory Delight. Now this is going to be really fun for me. This <laughs> queen and me have had um, a lot of history, I feel. Um, it was one of the first times I went out in drag in Glasgow was with this mm-hmm. beautiful drag queen when we went to see Raja. Mm-hmm. And I think you had won this, and we'll touching this later, but you had won that for a competition, hadn't you? Um, I think... I think I had. I had. I think I won. I won a meet and greet or something. I, I mean, what ended up happening wasn't what was said, but I think I. Yeah, I won tickets to go and see any queen of my choice or something. So I just think I, I think I just chose the first like first night out that I can do really. And we had an incredible night in that Glasgow um, hotel. You know, it was so funny. We ended up getting, I think, a free hotel room because the guy fancied both of us. I remember that, and I remember there was somebody outside with a sandwich, and I did I ask them for it or I. I took it from them. It's very, I mean, I was a little bit drunk, so it's very, very, can barely, you know, I, I, I can barely remember that, but I do remember being a little bit tipsy, Jordan. I can. A little bit tipsy. I can remember everything, and I was absolutely hammered. We went to the desk. The guy, we got, what happened was, everyone, we got in trouble because we are all in this hotel room. We were being far too loud, and people complained. So we were offered a free hotel room if we shut up. And then we were like, well, we're starving. Where's the Mickey D's? And he went, oh, I'll make you sandwiches in the hotel lobby. And we waited. That was it. Yeah, and it was wild. So do you know what? I've opened with a beautiful story, but it is, of course, the absolute icon, Blade, and out of drag, makeup artist, Jamie Grandison. How are you doing? I'm very good, darling. I'm so excited to talk to you. So excited. I'm doing really well. I'm just, I'm loving your 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 podcast that you've got going on, Jordi. I'm just obsessed. Queen of content, I think. You're one of the main queens of content. You're never you're never knowing my face, and that's what every drag queen's supposed to. I need to take a few notes from you. Do not check the last time I posted on the Blaze account. That's something you shouldn't do. But yeah, I love it. You're always there, always active. I'm just yeah, I'm happy to be here and gab. I love a good gab, Jordi. Well, I was about to say we're gonna gab, 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 and that is a reference that we'll touch on later, I'm sure. But love. Such, I had to get you on when I interviewed a non-binary artist you used to work with at Bohemia. And mm-hmm. I said, no, Blaze, really well, Blaze taught me makeup. I went out in Glasgow years ago with Blaze and I went, why have I not had you on the podcast yet? Why? I know. I, I have no idea, but I'm more than happy to be here now. So could you introduce yourself to my listeners, although a lot of them will know you? Right. I, um, I mean, I, I highly doubt that, John, but thank you. <laughs> um, my name, my drag name is Blaze. I, my normal name is Jamie Grandison. I go by he, him. Um, I, um, I've been doing drag now for about going on six years, which is quite scary. Um, loads of ups, loads of downs when it comes to drag, um, but I'm also a professional makeup artist. I work at a, a quite well-known salon in Edinburgh called The Makeup Bar and Fingers and Pies. I also, as you said, do work at, did, pandemic, did work at the one of Edinburgh's busiest venues every weekend is called Bohemia, and it's like a live entertainment venue with immersive performance. So I'm, I'm the entertainment, I was the entertainment manager there, and I was in charge of the team of performers as well as being a performer myself, and also produced my own production drag shows, which we put on at Bohemia. It's just fingers and pies. Fingers and pies. I love pies. 
<laughs> yeah, oh, darling, don't we all? Clearly, that's one issue I've also got. The love of pies. Yeah, it's so it's so true. And you know what? Like, it is that thing I feel that, you know, Bohemia was such a wild venue. I remember I DJed a couple of shifts. It mm-hmm. uh, wasn't even in drag, but I DJed. And I never could really tell if people were actually there on a night out having a riot or they were actually performing. <laughs> it was so wild. <laughs> yeah, it is a really strange venue and very unique for Edinburgh I think that's the one thing I there is other venues similar throughout the UK there's one or two quite well-known ones but I think for Edinburgh it was like a breath of fresh air to the point where they've been open what three years and I think people are still kind of still people come in at the weekend and go wow what is going on like it's not even like a widely a widely known thing and I came on board there that's a whole story in itself but I came on board there just as a performer so my best friend Alana she was doing some makeup she was doing she's the head makeup artist there and I came in and covered covered one of her shifts and then I ended up performing just as a boy and then they signed signed a contract that night and basically I ended up creating my own role there which is extremely needed but I don't think they realized how needed it was when I first walked in the building but then by the time I walked out you know I was all over the place so I think it's I was in charge of, I say entertainment manager, but we, we've had teams of people who are actually in charge of booking the bands as such. And there's so many elements that go into a venue like that. And I was I was more lead, me and Alana both, to be honest. Um, there was periods where she was there without me and I was there without her, but we took lead on um, the, performer, the performers team. So the actors and the singers that we've got, what they're wearing, what the theme is, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I worked closely with, with the other companies and sponsors and we'll talk about pandemic in a minute I'm sure but like Pride 2020 had a very I managed to secure a very tight contract almost I don't want to say contract but a very exciting connection with Pride so Pride 2020 was going to be the normal Pride that you know but also a lot of extra events that were going to be taking place at Bohemia so it's really sad that that didn't go forward but Hey ho! But yeah, I can't. I almost forgot what it's like, Jordy. I've almost forgot what it's like to work there because it's been so long. But yeah, that is that's Bohemia for you. Yeah, and that's a sad statement. I hate that we have to share at this point that you know we're reaching. I think in a week or two, a year of this, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people are feeling miserable about this. And this is why it's good we're going to talk about the good times. But it, yeah. it's an interesting time for a lot of people because I understand what you're saying that I recently did an article for the BBC Social about the fact that I've got quite a lot of anxiety now about going back to what we would call normality because mm-hmm. I don't think I would ever be comfortable going into a venue now without wearing a mask for at least a few months because I'm not a germphobe, but, you know, for my health, underlying health issues, obviously, I'm very much like, well, what if someone does have COVID and I've been vaccinated, but I still am that unlucky bugger that gets it, Do you know? Yeah. So it's interesting because it has been such a long time now that people, it's not just us, people are absorbed in this. That actually, I know a lot of drag queens that have left drag at this point that I hadn't yeah. been so long that when actually I'm in a full-time job now, I actually really like my life now. Maybe I don't want to go back to like doing this for tips and I'm like, shit, right? Yeah. Actually, made them, made them realize that maybe it was, it wasn't, you know, it forced them into a job that they're now more happy than what they were before. But then some people are just desperate to get back, but that's, that's the thing, it's quite tricky as well, like being, being, working at somewhere like Bohemia, where I'm not, I'm not actually around a lot, I mean, we'll get into this in a bit as well, but I'm not surrounded by drag queens, and for a drag queen, I think that's quite rare, I think a lot of drag queens are surrounded by drag queens, and I, I tend to have none around me, and there's positives to that, but there's also some negatives, um, yeah, I'm in charge of a lot of people who've been to uni, they've done the acting degree, they've done the dancing degree, and all of them are, you know, just, some of them are, 
just out of work and upset and desperate to get back. And some of them have moved on to other positions where, where they're now like, wow, like you can make this much money in a month. Like never thought that would be possible with a real job, you know? So it's quite, it is one of those things. You're so right. And it's interesting because I've always felt me and you have had such a similarity in drag that we've often done straight venues that you make a lot of money from, which is brilliant. Uh, yeah because we've done straight crowds and sort of like I did the Free Sisters all the time. My first ever professional gig was doing the Free Sisters with Violet and Amy. Every- yeah, I remember that. And then mm-hmm. it taking off that we had a yearly residency at Christmas and sort of in November and we would do promo shoots. And then that spiraled and snowballed into other things. And I ended up constantly getting shows in straight venues that had, like I did a Bod Karev once in the Fringe. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. like, like these drag queens we've heard you're really talented you're really professional you've done straight venues because that was their thing was once they knew I had done one straight venue they were happy to hire me because they felt like I was confident because a lot of drag queens don't want to go into venues that aren't in the queer community they freak out yeah. yeah and I and I understand why but at the same, I do understand why some people have that outlook but at the same time I think if it's if it's performing that you're into and it's performing that you're here for, then you better get used to that. But some, I feel like a lot of a lot of drag queens, I think performing isn't even the main aim at the end of the road, and that's absolutely fine. Maybe it is just to be seconding and look, and that is a whole thing of its own, and it's something I can do. I can, you know, like go to a club every weekend and like super high heels and like really uncomfortable drag, like for the benefit of a picture and like get my name out there. I could not do that. No. So it's it's it's. Where what, what I maybe dislike about drag is I tend what other drag queens love the most, and then what I love the most is something that makes a lot of other drag queens maybe feel uncomfortable. So it's yeah, it's one of those things. It's hit and miss. But um, I wish it wasn't the fact that only straight venues pay well. I you know I wish I wish that gay venues did too. But I mean you know there's budgets and there's 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 cuts and there's money to be made in different avenues. But yeah, yeah it's a tricky and- thing. Then, because my last comment I would like to make from my listeners before we start getting into your story and you was that mm-hmm. obviously realised that on Drag Race UK they had mentioned Scotland and sort of how drag queens aren't paid very well and a lot of venues and I thought yeah hmm okay and I've spoken to venue managers who since have seen that and thought oh my god what do you mean people aren't paid fairly and all I can say is you know they've came to me and I've said well at the end of the day you know you're not paying everyone individually if you're paying someone to run a, a night you need to trust in them that that will evenly distribute. And for me, I've always done a fair thing of, hi, give me your budget. This is the prop. This is the options. Let's get this going. And then make all the performers aware of that. And I'm sure you've done that too. So, Of course, of course. Some of my, we'll get into it, as you said, but some of my shows, I can, I mean, the show that was, all my big production shows I've done in the past, I've had, I've had up to like six, six dancers with me who you know and that that's months of planning that's months of, that's hours and hours of studio time before before you even approach the venue to say look what I've got ready do you want to buy it so I feel like one of the biggest issues I have and I realized this around about I'm sure we'll talk about this but it was around about the pride 2019 time is that I think a lot of people got upset because they expected their name to be enough to get the gig and sometimes things are not handed to you and, and sometimes you might have to send a little email to see if 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 they would have you. People aren't going to know. And, and, and having, I realised quite early on that having a big name is not going to bring money in. And you need to you need to try, no matter how big you think you are, you need to send that email and say, bitch, I've got this show. Do you want to buy it? They're, people aren't just going to reach out of their own accord. Why do I feel like people are going to so come for me, Jordy? But that's just how I feel. <laughs> 
hun, they're not going to come for you. They've already been coming for me the last year. Trust me, don't even worry about that. Yeah, oh, yeah. worried is the least of my concerns. It's more so just I know it to be true. I just know that I think somebody's saying to you, listen, I may have got that gig over you, but I sent an email asking months prior, or I sent... I sent budgets and cut. I, I sent how much I could do it for. I also sent over layouts and images and, and I've sent spreadsheets before. Like, yep. what email did you send? Oh, no, oh, none. Email. Bitch, I'm the biggest drag queen in town. Well, I've got the gig and you haven't, so how did that work out for you? You are like the Madonna of the drag community in Edinburgh. Oh, uh, shut up, Jordan. Madonna. The business women, you're like the business minds going and buzzing and you know what like I love working in the LGBT venues and they've always done well at paying me so I think that's absolutely great so yeah yeah get all the money the money is there and I think the venue managers do need to realize that and I think you know what's a shame about Edinburgh is the lack of spacious gay venues because with space and capacity comes a lot of things that you can put on and that you can do and I think I don't even want to blame all the venue managers because I feel like they what are they going to do with the capacity venue they've got or the budget that they've got, how are they going to spend? I mean, we both know the Edinburgh gay scene. Where we, if, it, if we're talking about gay clubs, not not performance venues like Labelle and Gel and all that, but if we're talking about actual gay clubs, where is, you know, where is Bianca Del Rio going to come and perform? It's not going to happen. Like, where it's going to have to be an external yeah. venue, which that's where the money's going. You know, you're, you're, your money's going to a straight venue because sadly they are only big enough. They're the only ones big enough to hold the event that bring in the real money. So, yeah, that's the thing. I totally agree with you on all of this. I'm so glad you've said a lot of this. And it's that thing, isn't it, that um, I'm going to talk to you about this later, but I can't imagine what that would have been like going from nightclubs to actual places that have a stage. But we'll go on to that soon. Mm-hmm. Let's... Mm-hmm right some stuff i know but some stuff i don't know through Amy mm-hmm. obviously going to high school a few at one point right but let's mm-hmm. talk about before blaze was born and you realized that you wanted to do drag let's talk about you right so mm-hmm. where did you grow up and study and what did you do before you actually decided you know what i want to do drag so funny um so random i not your question just my answer um so i grew up in a place called say hill which is out next to broom house you know you, you've got to know Sayhill. um just done my mum my, my dad divorced but like still um still friendly and it wasn't had a pretty normal at least in my opinion upbringing went to muddy Brown primary school and then i went to fotherster high school as did miss amy lamore for a few years um when i left high school i stayed on for fifth and sixth year which was probably mistake number one but hey ho i'm here now um I went to college for event management and then dropped out after two weeks because it just was not, I wasn't vibing with what I thought. My expectations were, this is going to be amazing. Keep in mind, I'm still in the closet. Like, I didn't come out till I was 19. So I'm, I know, yeah, gag. Like, how was I ever? Anyway, um, event management, dropped out of that. Then I, I mean, I've had loads of jobs. I sold high heels, Dorothy Perkins, I worked at USC, I worked at Akash and Carey for my first, like, while I was at school. I've never been without a job for too long, to be honest. I've always kind of kept the job. But after dropping out of college, I got a job at a place called Time Twisters, which was, like, a kid's play area out, out at, like, where I live on Calder Road, right? And it's so funny. It's like a, the- it's quite camp. It's like a themed, it's a play area for, for children, but it's, like, themed like Egypt. Shout out anybody who's actually been to Time Twisters. Like, it's a vibe. So I worked in, like, the kitchen and the floor, and then I... I always wanted to do this, but I applied for something called Camp America. 
and that's where um they send a lot of like youth i want to say like 18 to 25 year olds over to america for the summer to work and i was i had always heard of it and i'd always wanted to go to america do you know what i mean like boy from sight hall wants to wants to go to new york obviously deep down noses and gays you know campus tits <laughs> so um ended up getting that but i went to the fair it was held down at dynamic earth and it was just hundreds of people and hundreds of camp owners um talking to people and figuring out who's good to go to their camp and work for the summer and i think a lot of people know camp america camp america to be this fun you know like you're probably working with really privileged american children and it's all very it's all very parent trap but my reality was not that because it turned out to be a special needs camp so it was a camp for children and adults with like quite severe disabilities, like cerebral palsy and spina bifida, and major- large majority of wheelchair users. Um, and it really shook me like to the core. Like it's not what I ever thought I would do. I almost backed out before, you know, young naive boy from, you know, a council estate, given it working with somebody with cerebral palsy, that's not my life. Like a young stupid boy. And it just... As tacky as it sounds, it did change. It changed everything. Like it changed my whole life. I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, loved everything about it. I just, I, I realised that, like, wow, it's a, it's a type of work that you can't, you don't get that sort of like rewarding feeling from doing anything else. It's a unique thing. Um, came home after the three months of work and started working. Right, started looking for work in that field right away because I knew, um, and got a job at an amazing company called Upward Mobility which is, as you know, a fantastic, it's it's hard to explain to people sometimes, because it's not a school, it's not a college, it is educational, but they work with a bunch of young adults um, doing things like drama workshops and dance classes and arts and crafts workshops, and sometimes you're working on a one-to-one basis with maybe somebody who's quite severely autistic, and sometimes you're working with somebody who may have not not be as not be as high on the spectrum. So it's a wide variety. Every day is different. And I I I led some dance workshops and and then I went off to Camp America again mm-hmm. and I met my boyfriend. So obviously life changing again. <laughs> came home, came out the closet, right away was like I'm so interested in makeup, started doing makeup on myself and on friends. And things just gradually got more and more extreme. Um, and I eventually gave up the job at Upward Mobility and started doing makeup. I say full time, but I mean, really, it was two clients every weekend. I was charging £20. You know, it was just that really beginner makeup artist story. And it was round about then that I did drag for the first time as well. Round about the time that I started teaching myself how to do makeup. And then, yeah, did drag and had a few months of that in Edinburgh. As you know, we we crossed paths and did a competition. There was a lot in there if you want to ask about that little time that I did it in Edinburgh before going, but then I moved to Australia for two years with my boyfriend. And, you know, the story doesn't end there, but that is the early, that is the early stages, darling, of plays. How are you going to edit that down, to be sure? <laughs> we don't edit it after in delight unless it's, like, offensive. <laughs> Love that. Right, okay, fantastic. I don't want anyone getting, like, called out just now. Like, I don't... I'd like like to educate people afterwards and say, right, this was said and maybe that was wrong. <laughs> right, got you, got you. No, that's good to know. I can talk for Scotland, though, darling. No, that was beautiful. And to be honest, it's so interesting because I knew from Amy sort of some of the stuff, what you were like, Forrester, how she thought maybe you'd be gay, but you were kind of really popular, even though you were, like... I think Amy had that weird thing she talked about that she was gay but not popular, whereas you were quite popular among the girls and stuff, so... I just in the closet, yeah. 
yeah, but I remember her talking about that and me being like, I can't imagine Jamie. Like, but then it's like me at school. I remember being like, oh, I'm not into like guys. Why would you think that for like fucking years? And yeah. what you mean, um, it's really interesting. And to hear sort of you talk about upward mobility obviously hits for me because I had messaged you being like, where was it you worked when we went to the dance studios? Because that basically how me and you kind of ended up meeting properly was we did um, Chris's fundraiser they did for Chalkies for like cancer benefit. And we met and you were like, and I was like, oh, I can't dance, I've never danced in life. Right, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that day pulling you all into the dance studio. That was fun. See, from day one, I was like, we're going to make this look good. (laughs) I tried anyway. Um, as, as far on as I was in my journey at that time, I tried my hardest. But it's funny because I remember you being like, there's a diva in you because I was so stressed about the event. And then I ended up in hospital, which was such bad timing, but you ended up actually like stepping in for me, which I'm glad you did, to be honest. I still would have been embarrassed with still dance. <laughs> but oh. um, it was really interesting because that was how we met. And then I remember saying to you, where was it we rehearsed that thing? Because I'd love to do some rehearsals where you're like, oh, mobility. And I was like, Oh, are they hiring actually? And then yeah. I getting a job there when I left school, eh, not school, left uni. Um, I was like, right. And it, it was just such coincidence that I was like, that's around the corner from where I've just got my first flat. And then they were hiring. I ended up getting a job there for three months and then it was zero hours. So I ended up having to get a job that had 25 hours. Yeah. But yeah, and they all loved you. I remember going in and I think they sort of probably envisioned that I would be like sort of replacing what you were because they thought, they were just always like, Jamie's so lovely, like you. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's so nice. Like, um, and heard such great stories. But yeah. And yeah, I remember obviously we ended up going through Glasgow to um, the drag race night. Yeah. We kind of got really friendly then, which was lovely. I then remember me and you went to a house party up at Gestorfin, which we weren't, I don't know why we ended up at this house party at Gestorfin, but this lassie basically was like, oh yeah, like we went in the house. And I just remember her being like, oh, me and my mum have moved out here. And we were basically sitting there thinking, we broke into this fucking house. I remember. I remember. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. I have, mate. I was pretty traumatised. I thought the police are coming. <laughs> They're coming to get us. No, I remember that. They said it's random. Maybe have crossed paths in the most random ways. At least before I left. Like, now it's like, you're dirty. Like, we're, it's fine. But, like, before, it was so... I felt so weird because it was, like, starting drag. It was, like, all these new people around you. That I have no idea about my own personal life and like I've not grew up with these people I've not like matured with these people I've just met them and first of all we're all gay and that was like that was new for me having gay friends around me and then it was like and they're also all drag queens and wow it's kind of competitive as well because it's quite a small you know a small scene at that time it was quite small I'm not trying to say I came in at the very beginning because I definitely did not I remember going up town at like 15 with fake ID and like and going to like um Habana probably shouldn't say that now but yeah we all we all done it didn't we and like seeing like certain drag queens who still do it now you know walking about the scene in full drag and me thinking wow like that's so far away from anything I will ever want to do even though I know I'm gay inside however here I am it's funny you say that Jamie right because for me like I find that hilarious because I genuinely was the same that Years ago, when my mum took me to a drag show when I was 16, I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to, this just makes me a bit uncomfortable. Why would someone want to be doing this? And when I watched it, it was one of those shows that was very much, they were in Chicago, they were doing cabaret, they were doing lives on. I was yeah. like, oh my God, it's like performing. This is not what I thought it would be. 
um, there's that stigma around drag, obviously, that even now I still get people when I'm applying for arts commissions being like, so drag, are you like a cross-dresser artist? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like, no, yeah. it's not what drag is, but it's 2021. I thought people would know, but a lot of them don't. Yeah, no, a lot of them don't. I think it's, we do think, even though drag is taking over the world, because it is, like, it's still very, it's, the people that actually know what is going on is still a small bubble. I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race could be in a hun- can be in six countries, or it could prob- probably be in 106 countries. I think it was actually Michelle Visage, she gave an interview one time, she said it'll always be kind of underground. And I get what she means, even though it's so not, and you've got every girl in every high school giving it yes, can't wait for Thursday to watch Drag Race. It's still, the people that actually know what's going on and what it is, stays quite small. You know what I mean? You can't just watch a drag show and understand the whole culture. It takes a while. So, yeah, I think it'll always remain on the smaller side. And I think for me, like, I'm very much like you. I grew up in a working class background as well from, like, sort of council. And it's interesting for me because one of the things I felt was that um, I'm such a city gal. And Mm. I've just been in Edinburgh my whole life. And even when I've worked away in places like London and stuff, I'm always in the city. So working in my new job with Fife, I've met so many people that I'm like, fuck me, I forget that people actually are still not aware of these things happening because they're they're in the countryside yeah what was it like i have a question for you then right what was it yes. like going and doing drag and you said i think you went to melbourne for two years or was it australia like where about in australia was it i mean we went to australia for two years but we barely left melbourne so we had quite a unique travelers experience you know we didn't go backpacking we literally got up and moved it felt like to melbourne so um yeah didn't really leave melbourne for the two years to be honest and what was it like doing drag there? Because I remember I saw a video ages ago. I loved it. I shared it. it was like I think it must have been on Facebook, Instagram. And you were doing Tracy and Hairspray, but it looked like a full production. Yeah. It was... Um, did you never think? Oh, it was, like, mind-blowing because... See, before going, what's so strange is, like, that drag will do this to you, though, because it is addictive. Before going, there was, like, a small competition announced at, like, Chalkies. It was some, and I remember actually thinking to myself, I'm gutted that, like, a bit of me's gutted that I'm going to Australia because I'm, like, going to miss that competition. And I think it just goes to show I had no idea, like, what the scene was like in Australia. I had no friends there, no Australian friends or whatever. And getting there, it was just its own, its own world. It's just, it's, it was its own industry. One of the first nights that we had, just to put it in perspective, as we went... I was like, does, is there anywhere that does, like, drag? Like, I'm up for going to, like, a little drag bar. Um, so me and Chris found this place online and we went along. And, I mean, I have saw, like, famous people perform on s- stages less overwhelming than this. Like, I've walked into this venue and it was just, first of all, a gay venue. It wasn't a performance venue that had a RuPaul's Drag Race queen there. It was a massive massive stage and the back the back into the stage was an led screen from the floor all the way to the roof so i walked in and i think there was three drag queens all tall all beautiful all lace front wigs styled styled to the heavens not a bit of dirty lace in sight the three costumes all looked the same it was there was backup dancers the the lights in the room i just could not fathom what I was watching and I just and everybody in the crowd are like screaming for these local queens and it was just it was amazing it was like a push in the right direction to like wow you never thought doing this would be possible I remember doing single ladies at jockeys I mean I watched the video back there must have been about 30 people there 
and I remember thinking, wow, like that was amazing. Like the, the buzz I got off that, and you don't need a big crowd to get a good buzz, but I remember thinking that's probably the best you'll get. And this walking into this venue was just like ridiculous. It just made it, it was like fast forwarded time. It was almost like what you would expect if you went to anywhere now, because drag is so big and so many big venues host drag events, but it was 2015 and it did not feel, it was five years ago and it did not feel like a realistic you know, aim for me, and I walked in there, and I went, "Wow!" Like I was, I was, I was shook. It was called the GH Hotel, the Greyhound. It was like an iconic. I later on found out it's like an iconic bar. It'd been open for like twenty five years. It was an amazing, amazing club. Um, and next door to that was the dinner room, and the the stage was quite, probably quite similar to like Chalky's downstairs, but a little bit bigger. Um, but it was that sort of dinner vibe. It was there was tables and chairs, and it was a red curtain. So it was just an amazing venue. It just it felt like you you could actually become somebody in that venue. If you got to the top of the tier in that venue, you were somebody. Whether you're on Drag Race or not, whether you're famous online or not, it, you were somebody if you were somebody in that venue. And it was just amazing to see. So I started, I wasn't on that stage right away, by the way. My God, it was a journey to get there. Um, you start from the bottom. It's just, but it was, that's what I mean. Even the bottom over there, the stages were bigger than most I had performed on over here. And that's, you know, that was the bottom of the barrel, the clubs that, like, allow baby queens to come or first-time performers, because a lot of them don't. A lot of the venues are not going to just reach out to a, a brand-new drag queen in her first outfit and say, do you want to come and perform? There's a standard to uphold. There's there's public, there's foot traffic coming in, and a bad queen on the stage is a bad look for that venue. So they tend, that was when I kind of realised, wow. And I learned, I learned from other drag queens that I, like, became friends with like like if you've got an idea for the show you better have the costumes bought the choreography done and the show written before you even approach a venue to say would you be interested in putting this on you know so it was like mind-blowing to me and I met my, one of my best friends um Miss Aisha Buffet who befriended me and I befriended her and we just we just became best friends in and out of drag um and we kind of she had a bit more of a a name for herself so I eventually we did um, we actually did Do What You Want by Gang Gang Christina and that was my first time performing on that big stage she went on did did um, did Gaga and I came out and did the Christina feature and it was one of my still one of my favourite moments yeah. like I've ever had is walking out onto that big stage yeah. and being like bitch and I did the visuals because obviously I'm quite good at like graphic design and stuff so I made like the visuals for the wall and it had like blade like it was just a dream it was a dream sadly that venue's actually closed now it closed in my second year when I was there, which is really sad. But yeah, it was just a dream. It made me realise that it's, it's serious. This is not just put a dress the wig on and like perform your favourite song. It is quite serious and there's an art to it. There's an art, you know, there's, there's things that people are better than me at because they have put in the graft and graft as in the out of drag time, the making, the learning, the sewing, the hairstyling, the rehearsal time. And it's not just look at this sickening dress and look at this wig and look how many followers I've got. It was like a completely different scene. That's so interesting. I mean, I know Scorpios have high standards and you are a Scorpio, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's so good to hear you talk about all this because I feel personally, just as an artist here and all this, that that professional standard has probably really set you up for things like Drag Race in the future that, you know, there's a certain standard that you're getting thrown in the deep end. Like you mm-hmm. go in there going, I want to do this. And they're going, well, you need to be this good then. And yeah. said that competition, like I, I remember this because 
I think you were you enrolled in the competition I enrolled in, but then you were like, oh, I leave, I'm going away. You left. You were leaving. Yeah, it was. Um, there was two. There was one that I did. It was for Pride that year, so it was. It must have been Pride 2015, and it was. Um, I think it was called Edinburgh's Next Drag Superstar, and that was like held in partnership with Pride, and I did that, um, and I won that. That was nice, and then yeah, I won that, and then there was, and that was a really nice start. It was like a kick up the right, you know, direction because I was performing with other people I knew. I knew had been doing this for longer than me. So it was just good. I mean, I watched that video back. It's absolutely horrendous. But I mean, for where it was at the time and the vibe in the room, you know, I thought at the time I did quite well. Um, and then, yeah, it's just funny. This It was just a small drag competition that was like held. It wasn't a one day thing. It was like held over a certain amount of weeks. And each week, one person goes home. It was like quite an exciting thing for like a new drag queen. And I remember when we booked our flights to Australia being like, well, that's the only negative, like I'll miss that. And then to look back and think that that's what I was concerned about when I knew, if I was to know what was coming, you know, I would have been prepping. <laughs> but I, I didn't. But maybe it's good that I didn't. I think I, I'm very appreciative that I walked into that venue and saw what was possible without knowing what I was walking into. I think that maybe helped. Um, and I didn't get on that stage until I felt like I had put the graft in. It was probably a good six months later. You know, it wasn't... I didn't walk in. I had to perform a lot at other places. And and once I was in, I still wasn't in. Like, I wasn't on that stage every week. Like, even the best of the best weren't on that every week. Like, there was production shows going on in there. There was, they, they had, like, this Disney show. It was called Disney Reimagined. And it was the exact same show, but it ran, like, every Saturday, but, like, for a month. And people wouldn't get sick of it. You know, it would be every Saturday for a month. And there was that much foot traffic that every Saturday, it would be a different crowd. And we would go every Saturday anyway, because it was, you know, they ran shows and productions and there was like dancers and it was a lot. It was very overwhelming at the time um, to look at and try to aim to. But yeah, it became possible, clearly. Brilliant. Blaze is born beautifully, chucked in the deep end, swimming, mm -hmm. loving her life. She's back mm -hmm. to Edinburgh. You came back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you brought that back with you when you then ended up pursuing working in Bohemia and putting on these really good productions. And I know I'd like to mention now that you performed at the Pride that I hosted. Yes. But the thunderous applause, Blaze, for your performances that you did. I was blown away. And you wouldn't know this because I didn't want to obviously tell people that day, but I was very ill that day. But I came in a rainbow tracksuit my hair would glitter in it and was like, do you know what? I'll turn up, I'll host. I don't have to like, I would never, I hadn't been booked to sing. I hadn't been booked to lip sync. Just yep. did it. Everyone was so supportive and great. I got to meet Teresa, which was wild. She yep. asked me if I was a drag queen that DM'd on Instagram. I was like, no. <laughs> Love that. Which I thought was hilarious. Um, but I remember standing there thinking, God, a star is born. Like, cause you just command the stage and your dancers. It was, they were doing the drums for the, opening of the med medley and you came the Beyonce mix, yeah. It was the Beyonce one and that sort of concert like studio version was done and everyone went, yes, you would have thought Beyonce was there. <laughs> I remember, you know what, it's so funny, I remember you introduced me as the Beyonce of drag and I was like, oh my God. I was like, fair enough, like go on Jordy, love that. You did a great job that day, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like it was, it was really nice to um, introduce you that way and I really enjoyed it and it was just uh, it was just wild because the performances were just stellar and you were going away and doing costume changes and coming back. And I was like, fucking hell, this is incredible. Like, and it yeah. was 
it was to me such good standard because I'll be honest, I'm going to talk about this because I'll happily will mention this. Mm-hmm. Pride got so much fucking slack for the lineup that year. And I remember this happened. Yeah. I will happily tell people this, right? We were all going to get gradually introduced. You were announced as part of the lineup. I remember seeing it going, of course she's on the lineup. She's incredible. I think she's amazing. She should be on the lineup. And the amount of people that spat their dummies out going, mm. where are the local talent? Where? And I remember sitting thinking to myself, there is a fucking professional drag queen who's great, who does Bohemia there, who does it every weekend. And I had already, they had booked me as the host months before this. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, you're getting to Pride. I went, listen, you're getting so much hate on this post. They were like, yeah, mm-hmm. actually, you're probably right. We will just announce it tomorrow. And I was like, grand, cool. And then when they announced it, do you know what? Do you want to know this? How many people messaged me asking me, was it a fix? Had they booked me at last minute as a publicity stunt? I thought, get a fucking grip. Like yeah. I said, people, it's none of your business when I got booked and how I got booked. Yeah. Just for clarification, I've been booked for two months. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, it, all yeah. It's a tricky thing because it's like you never want. It was such an overwhelmingly positive experience, and I know a lot. Like I have got extremely, extremely thick skin, but I also, I, I mean, I hate coming across like oh, I didn't even think about that because it's not that I didn't think about that. I, I definitely like did, and I visually saw the upset from a few. Um, which is quite sad, I think. But anyway, it was a few local... Yeah, a few local girls were a bit like, where is the local talent? So on one hand, I was flattered because I saw quite a few tweets from a few queens who I didn't know and didn't know me. You know, like when I came back from Australia, the drag scene in Edinburgh had tripled. So I didn't know the majority of the queens that were were talking negatively. But I assumed that maybe they didn't know who I was to a point of they didn't think I was even local. So I thought that was funny um, because there clearly was two local queens involved in the show. And... And at the same time, I remember having an over... Not upset. There was no... I had no upset that people weren't, like... Drag queens weren't reaching out with, like, their well-dones. Because at the end of the day, I have not received one penny from those people. Ever. And and they're never going to bring me money. A a drag race coming to my shows... A drag queen coming to my show and watching is never going... I want them to love it. And there is a few local girls who have actually came to Bohemia and, like, watched a Blaze show. Not just on a Saturday night, but on, like, watched a Blaze show. And, like, I'll I'll never forget the few that have done that because I just... And I still... If I see them in the street now, I'll... You know, I'd hug them. Like, I love them. Um, But, yeah, the overwhelming majority when Pride happened, I remember it being very, like, wow, there's queens that that have been here for how long? And there's queens that do this and do that and you didn't reach out to them... And I still ask the question, well, what would you have brought to the table? I reached out, they reached out to me, I reached out back, they sent me ideas. Originally, it was just going to be one performance, and I thought we'll split into three and do three different costumes. We went back and forward, back and forward, I put a lot of graft in, hours of rehearsal time, and, you know, stuff like that. And I thought, well, what would they have brought to the table? And I can't answer that question, but... It is what it is, and they invited me back the next year, and I was actually going to be doing even more the next year, and... So, well, obviously, pandemic happened, but I mean, it just goes to show if you reach out to people, you know, don't sit, sit and be better at the girl next to you who's got the good gig because they probably worked harder than you did for it. And if they didn't, then that's that is what it is, but that's going to happen too. You're so right. And I will happily say it that, you know, I did my BBC documentary and they were mm-hmm. like, we want you to host you just another documentary BBC. And I went, oh, thanks. Like, and I just went, I would love to host for Pride. And 
if you ever need me to come back, of course I will. And let me know if you need me to get anyone else involved that will happily help and contribute. But, you know, I was meant to be hosting partly 2020 at one point, and then everything got cancelled with the pandemic. And, yeah. you know, I'm very much, I'm, even if I'm not on stage, I'd be behind the scenes helping out. But, you of course know, you would, yeah. I like to just think that we are our own problem and we're our own solution. I think it's in Bridesmaids they say that. And it's so true that if people weren't happy, we'll make a good conversation about it, but don't lash out in anger. And I just didn't take kindly to people in the scene deciding that what they should do rather than say, well, actually, next time could I be involved and I would like to submit videos and stuff, to message me and say, so why were you booked? It's a bit like, what's well, none of your business, why? I, was I mean, not to come from a place of authority either, but I've always thought it to be a little bit, like, counteractive. Like, let me put this in the nicest way possible. I then, later on in 2019, and um, actually at the time, at the time, it wasn't even later on, but I then became... I was in a place where, not really, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but I was in a place in my role at Bohemia, at one of at one of Edinburgh's busiest venues, to be in a place to potentially bring people on, not, you know, not as like full-time staff, but to, to reach out to performers and bring them in. And and I think it's kind of like a, you're, sh you're putting your foot in your mouth because it's the people that could reach out to you in the future are now remembering that, at the time when it was somebody else's opportunity, you were the nightmare to deal with. So now it's like going forward, am I going to reach out to that person that maliciously acted that way at that time out of jealousy? Or am I going to reach out to this person who may have also been upset at the time, but didn't lash out maliciously? You know, it's kind of like a, it's media, it's media training one-on-one. You just need to know when you when to shut your mouth and when to take the gig. And also, if you feel some sort of way, that's what these platforms are for. I'm not saying these people shouldn't have had their free speech but it was kind of bittersweet because I was so overwhelmingly happy about um, that gig in particular and having so many people people friends and family and people from the scene reaching out to be like bitch like congratulations that's major and just having the select few be like but you know where was my opportunity hey I can't answer that but like I, I worked hard for mine it's also not high school I hate to say that but it's not and you know for me I always book professionals to work with me and that's mm -hmm. always been the way I've worked and anyone that works with me knows that and you learn on the job and I just feel like you're totally right in everything you've said and you've nailed it you've brought us on to Bohemia which is so perfect now what were you sort of doing with Bohemia before the pandemic happened and you were working at the makeup bar you know what was going on before Ms. Rona hit well, I mean, I mean, the makeup bar has just been like a staple in my life. Like, it's not even like ups and downs. It's every weekend throughout all of this pride, everything I've ever done, every weekend I have been at Bohemia. I have been at the salon too. So, I mean, a normal Saturday for me is, and this is a normal Saturday. This isn't even like a ladies' day, but like a normal Saturday, a normal weekend for me was salon all day Friday, go to Bohemia on the Friday night, not in drag, but as you know, sort of events management events management, or doing the makeup there as well, looking over what's happening, the performances, has the DJ got the right tracks, is she supposed to be on the floor, it's time for them to get on the table, now it's time for that performance, now it's time, so that was a Friday night, I'd wake up at the crack of dawn Saturday morning, and I mean the crack of dawn, sometimes, sometimes 3, 4, 5 a.m., depending on the day, and go into the salon and paint faces one after the next, all day, up to 10 clients a Saturday, sometimes one after one after one, the last one would walk out the door, I'd do my own face, I'd get in full, full drag, head off to Bohemia, and that's where I'd be till 1am. So 
the makeup bar has always been a staple um, every Friday and Saturday. That's always just continuously going on as I'm working on all these other things. But before the pandemic, it was getting, it was elevating itself more than more. I think being somebody who's like, so me and Alana together at Bohemia, like work, work together and we come up with the themes and the costumes and it's a lot, you know, Monday through Thursday, you're figuring out what eight people are, what nine or 10 or whatever, however many performers are wearing, what the theme is, what the performance is, have they got their choreography sorted? Is the floor mapping ready to go? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and that's what my midweek was. And then the Saturday was making it actually happen. So Pride was the big project, to be honest, like right before um, this corona hit, Pride was what we were in the depths of working with. We were at that time, I don't know if they still are, but Pride were in partnership with Monumental Marketing, which is Jamie, you know, Jamie, you hosted Pride with him. Um, so we were working on a lot of, you know, the a lot of, we were going to do like a Pride themed um, Thursday where the meals, each meal represented the colour from the rainbow and it was cooked by like the high-end chefs and, and the Friday was going to be like the launch party because Pride Edinburgh have never had like an official an official open to the public event for a launch and a, and a post party. We were going to be hosting that. We were working with, we were working on our own our own production for the Saturday of Pride, which we kind of took a step back with because Pride themselves agreed to work with us. So we didn't want to work against them on the day of this, you know, celebration. So we were going to do a pre, pre-March drinks and it was going to be a massive four day sort of extravaganza. And obviously Miss Roma hit and, and killed that thought. But, Bohemia is just, it was get it was, it's intense. Every new year, it's, it's extremely, the pressure goes on because the productions are, you know, people are paying upwards of like 80, 90, sometimes over a hundred pounds for one ticket. And they're relying on us as entertainment, not just me and drag, but everybody, all the other performers who work so hard. And yeah, it was, that was my life. Bohemia consumed my life before this, which I'm happy with. The makeup bar in Bohemia was my life. But if I'm being honest, I did start to think, well, like, where's the out going to be? We've not even touched on my productions, which is obviously, that was always coinciding with everything else was the actual Blaze productions, which we put on. I did my first Fringe show in 2019 as well, um, every Saturday. It wasn't every day, thank God, but it was every, every Sunday at Bohemia during the Fringe 2019. So right before Corona hit, to answer your question, we were working in close partnership with Pride, but I was also knee deep in rehearsals for a big, French show for 2020, which we had registered, which we had, you know, we had hours and hours and hours. I mean, hundreds of pounds of rehearsal studio space time. We were knee deep in the, we were about halfway there with the actual um, choreography for the Blaze 2020 French show. And obviously it killed that idea. It didn't kill the idea, but it killed it killed that off too. So it was quite devastating at first when, when, when Mr. Rona hit, as it was for everybody, I'm sure. Yeah. Are you not exhausted though? That's so much to be juggling. Did you manage to sleep? I mean, very few and far between, but like, yeah, it was, get, it was, I won't lie, it was getting, I mean, I've managed to stay busy throughout the pandemic and we'll talk about that later, but it was getting really intense. I mean, weekends were intense, you know, like every now and then you'd have a little Sunday client as well. So it was like after your Friday and your Saturday and you were getting home at two, three in the morning, you had to get up to do, you know, a bride, a bride's makeup at whatever time on a Sunday. And then weekends were intense and Monday through Thursday were super intense as well because that was, I always say to somebody, you know how much pressure it is. You know, I try and say this to drag queens, like 
you know how hard it is to put one look together for yourself, for the club. Let's say you've only got one week to do it. That's a lot. Now, times you by nine and split that over two nights. So you better have nine stunning, cohesive drag looks. Because let's be real, we're not putting... The performers at Bohemia, they're in drag. Like, they may not be tucked, but they are in full drag. Full lace fronts. You know, it's it's full... And me and Alana were in charge of that. And and each one had to be to a certain standard. We've had our hits and our misses, mind you. You learn a lot along the way. But I think that also helped me elevate my drag. You know, making those mistakes on other people <laughs> helped me elevate mine. But yeah, no, it was busy, Jordi. It was. It was intense. You both sound like sort of a dance mom of drag like i feel like you and alana with the dance moms of bohemia that sounds wild <laughs> we were, that, that's the perfect that's the that's honestly the perfect role if you had to sum it up because we made our own role to be deadly honest when we first started there yes alana did the makeup and i was brought on as a performer and there was a events manager events manager there at the time but um she struggled she didn't struggle with anything she absolutely slayed it but there was so much to do because she was in charge of the performers and the bands and the, it was way too intense so me and Alana kind of took that role split it between us two but that role kept elevating and it kept elevating we gave ourselves so much work but it was so it was rewarding but it has its ups and its downs so how have you found you know the pandemic affecting your drag then a lot of people there's so many different stories I have on afternoon flight right yeah, I imagine. Yeah, well, they've got drag artists who have quit. You've mm-hmm. got drag artists who have taken a break. You've got drag artists who are co- turning out digital content every two days. And I think yeah. hats off to them. Yeah. I'm trying to sort of restrict myself to, well, you can't do that much every two days. Do it at least once a week every two weeks. Um, and I mentioned to you before we started this, that you know, my thing was, well, do you know what I'll do that I didn't have the time to do before? Is I'll sing. I'll drop singing covers on YouTube all the time. But, like, how have you found the pandemic affecting drag for you? Like, how have you found your experience? Um, It was a slow start. Like, at the very beginning, it was, did I say, the whole pandemic lockdown thing. It wasn't, day one for me personally, cannot speak um, for other people, but if anything, it wasn't realistic. So, if anything, it felt exciting. It was like, what's this thing? You know, like a snow day at school when you're young. It was very that for the first, like, few days for me. I was like, oh, this is, like, a weird thing that's happening. Um, I think it was more so, like, when we turned the lights off and Bohemia up was quite, wow, the lights are off. And then when we found out, I think it was maybe a month in or maybe two months in, that the Fringe was cancelled. That was a slap in the face because we... By that point, I was hundreds of pounds spent on, and we weren't even halfway there, like hundreds of pounds spent on dance studio time. And it's not like it's wasted. Like it was it was the biggest show I was ever going to do. It was six, there was seven of us. And that was just the performers. There was also a host to come on board as well as like there was photographers, videographers. There was a team of us that, which by the way, to speak to on earlier, came out of my pocket. This isn't Bohemia's money when it comes to the Blaze Productions. I don't rely on them. It's all me. Um, it's all me. And then you have to price your shows to you, make sure you're getting paid back for your costs. You know, it's just business. But um, I was hundreds of pounds into, into, I had a designer make me like a custom hoodie. Like I was so excited for it. You know, we were, we were getting ready to go and film some video content um, with a videographer. Like it was getting so exciting and 
it was just like a slap in the face like that's not happening and there was a show I've always wanted to do as well it was like a, there was a concept behind it and there was a good idea but um, so that was a slap in the face but then I started to realise I, mean, I had to like keep myself a bit busy so I started like I love shiny things Jordy like I love rhinestones like more than your average person so I started buying rhinestones and stoning things in the living room and I mean it's a long story but I mean cut to now I've had like a website and like an external second business open up called Get Blind on Instagram selling like rhinestone cups and shoes and it's turned into its whole thing so I kind of started a business in the middle of lockdown which which I didn't think was actually going to end up as serious as it ended up but I've yeah over like $10,000 in sales just like amazing it's just kept me busy and yeah we're here now and I'm starting now that we're kind of it feels like we're coming to the end of it I'm starting to go off that and I've been working on other things as of recently as you know with the BBC as well so it's started to kind of veer away from that but it's still there I'm still I've got a rhinestone Shrek mask next door that somebody's ordered as a custom order don't honestly I do not understand people but it's I mean it's a vibe I've just done like a pair last week I finished off a full-on rhinestone um, pair of Crocs like don't ask, but it started off with masks, actually. I was just putting rhinestones on masks and I put them up on Etsy just randomly, just stuck them on Etsy and then like ding, 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 ding. The notifications were just, and masks turned into cups, which turned into shoes, which turned into a website. And it's, yeah, it's slowly progressed. That's actually amazing. And you know what? Because I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, you've been quite actually... Um clever in a way and you sort of went right what can I do right now that'll keep me productive hands wise and physically doing stuff but actually can make some money from so again the Madonna of Dragon Edinburgh I'm telling you you found a market you went for it you know marketing very well and I saw Madonna it of drag. I love that never thought myself as a Madonna of drag Georgie thank you that'll do can I <laughs> a diva you, I was saying you were Beyonce drag at Pride you're now the Madonna like <laughs> I love it I love it it's so true because I remember seeing that thinking, oh, that's amazing that you're doing that. And I've noticed you've been putting a couple in of makeup stuff on Instagram recently and you obviously look beautiful as usual. Um, it's interesting because you have started with Alana, the gorgeous Alana Carson, um, doing a, a sort of BBC show called Style Fixers. Can you tell mm. us more about that? Of course. So that's probably the most exciting thing that's happened to me in recent times, if I'm honest. Um, it was, it came, it all, I think, came from um, me and Alana just doing what we do at Bohemia is very style fixers. I mean, we're not playing, I mean, we're, we, you know, we're playing with a big company here, but we're not talking thousands of pounds on costume. But I mean, well, that's neither here nor there. But sometimes you have to be crafty. Like, whether you've got a budget or not, you may as well make it go the furthest it can. So we're very crafty um, with, you know, drag costumes and DIY stuff. Anyway, regardless, we stupidly well before pandemic this was like two years ago now went on a quiz show called wonderball which was a new <laughs> a new bbc um game show which we applied for just randomly and we got on and it's me and alana so we you know we like to think of ourselves as like edinburgh's answer to like still game meets the simple life so you know we knew like what we're going here for so we went and we we performed our asses off on and off camera on this game show which made um, you know we're, put it in perspective we're standing next to like Seda and Darren from Dalkeith and 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 Paul and Paul and Linda from Rossi and then it's like me and Alana full beat 
<laughs> it was really overwhelming, like for the for the camera. I will say I did see a clip and I absolutely decked that. And I can't remember you both kind of said, was it Bradley Cooper? There you are, Bradley Cooper. That was the moment, Jordy. Um, yeah, because we kept, you know, it's general knowledge, so we were getting everything wrong. But I mean, we we found it funny. We weren't there to actually try and quiz this show, you know. And one question, it came out of her mouth like slow motion. It was Katrina Sheena was the host, and she said, "In the in the Lady Gaga film, a star is born." I mean, her thought, but like, bitch, this is our moment. Like, we've got this. Um, long story short. About six months later, one of the, the production company that made that show, one of the women who work on there gave us a call and just basically brought the idea to us of how would you and Alana feel about your own TV show <laughs> um, to do with, you know, kind of like a like a, like a makeover con, like basically a makeover show, but with a bit of a twist, you know, um, you want to you know, be crafty, you want to, it's all charity shop based, it's so, but anyway, at that time, it was just pilot. It was just talk of a pilot, which is like a test episode. Just you go, you make an episode, they put it out, and if it turns into something, it does, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And we had an amazing response um, before that had even been put out to the public. The people at the BBC informed us that they loved it so much that we were getting a full series regardless. So it was just an amazing, an amazing experience. And we've only been back from filming. This. The, the pilot is on... BBC iPlayer just now, Style Fixers, but we've just finished wrapping the first series. So that is currently in editing. So we're really excited and it's going to be six episodes. And yeah, it's really overwhelming. It doesn't feel real still. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Me and my best friend. That's gorgeous. I'm so chuffed for you because I, the moment that you put on Facebook, it's coming. Here's a catch up from the um, YouTube stuff. And here's mm. the um, link. It'll be on TV. I actually was really old school. I was like, I'm going to watch it on telly when it goes on at times. Sat there, very chuffed, excited. I tagged it on Facebook, like, right, these two. Because honestly, I remember coming to the makeup bar and having the makeup done. And you show me how the makeup ages go back January, February 2020. And, yep. and watching both of you chat and thinking, I think I'd even said something like, God, you need your own TV show. So I use a while together. You're <laughs> But it's so true, like, and look what's happened. And I will say, honestly, that pilot, like, I at one point was like, maybe I should come on this and just get used to do this. And see, and <laughs> it would have been funny to actually have you both doing a look on me and seeing which one looked better. Me being like, oh, I don't Love. like. Um, so it was so great. And it, it just really is, it really is suited. And it's funny because I've been working with a producer um, with the National Bank of Scotland. And I'm dropping something in March, which is really exciting this month. God, that's this month, isn't it? It is this month, yeah. Um, they were like, oh, you do that podcast. You should try and like put a proposal into BBC to try and have your own talk show. And I went, aye, all right, cool. But they genuinely think I should try and do that. And I thought, that's mm -hmm. wild. Um, mm -hmm. I remember, obviously, I posted the BBC talk I did that they put back on iPlayer for a month. And you were like, BBC sister. And I was like, it's true. <laughs> Yeah, we are BBC sisters now, aren't we, darling? And I, I feel like people are going to think that's a weird porn thing if they're not from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound a bit porny. Um, but no, we are. We're, we're sisters of, of the iPlayer. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, I, I loved your doco as well. I absolutely loved it. I love the whole... I, and it, May I say again, it's obviously... It's, it's BBC Scotland, and I love, I, love, I love that channel. Like, I really do. I love that it's like a local-born, local-based 
um, show and I think all the feedback we got on the pilot obviously we got a lot of compliments like yous are funny blah 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 but a lot of it was like it's so funny turning on my telly and watching a show which looks relatively well put together but yet the people on the tv sound like my friends and sound like my neighbor and sound which I think is really really cool um and the series itself as well will be on BBC Scotland, but it's just, it's one of those things where behind the scenes it's so exciting because you receive such amazing feedback and 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 it's one of those things, I'm still learning, it's still new to me, so it's like, what can you talk about, what can't you talk about, but I know what I have to, what I can, what I can't talk about, and I'm allowed to, you know, tell everybody that there's a series coming very soon and we're finished, and it's very elevated, if you saw the pilot, Jordy, because you watched it, and I remember you on Facebook that night being like, I love this, it's very um, pilot if it had a glow up, like it's, um, that's exciting. Yeah, it's amazing. So we're just excited. We're just excited. It's just crazy. It's the last thing I thought. We knew it was coming. We got the call in like January. So that was before that was pre-pandemic. So we knew it was sort of coming, but I did not think that towards the end of a pandemic I would be filming, you know, taking part in something so amazing. But um yeah, it's just it's just crazy. It it does make you realise how sad it all is at the same time, like the pandemic, because we went away for three weeks to shoot this remotely, extremely COVID safe. We were in Glasgow. It was based in Glasgow, so we were living with me and Alana. Obviously, we're a bubble, um, and extremely strict and COVID following. And but at the same time, it was just so overwhelmingly amazing and such hard work. Like when you watch it, you probably don't think about that was actually hard graft, and my God, it was. Um, but to then come home and feel like nobody else has caught up with you, like everything else is still monotone because it's, it's just life at the minute. And we've just had this unreal experience. It's really made me realise there's ups and there's downs. And it's probably what a lot of people felt at the very beginning of the pandemic, going from their crazy lives to nothing. Whereas I was fine. I was like, I, need, I think I needed that time off, if I'm honest. And then by the time it hit me that it was a pandemic, I'd started a bloody business, Jordy. So I did not have time. Yeah. So I think this, after shooting the show and coming home to like normality, this was my early pandemic feeling. I started to get quite, ugh, you know, I'm getting sick of my four walls. Everything you've said is so valid because one of the guests I had on two episodes ago, Kay, who was a travel blogger, she had kind of said, actually the pandemic in a way did help me because I was burnt out and it let me slow down and take a break. And then actually let me work out cheap with Scottish um, artists, artists and businesses to sell Scottish um, products that are based on a lot of the sites that she used to go and review. So, you know, she's been the same like you, Love that. but also took time to go, well, actually, and she ended up finding like love in a relationship because of this. And I just think these are the things that we wouldn't have done. Cause I was like that. I was constantly busy before the pandemic that, I didn't really like who I was when the pandemic hit. I was like, oh, I don't like who I am anymore. I think I've got mm. a lot of things I need to sort out, and I have, which is great. Um, and it's so great to hear you've actually been managing so well with all this stuff. You know, what are your goals now when the pandemic is more under control and restrictions get lifted? What have you got any goals that you've set? Yeah, it's crazy how one what I say gig I don't mean a performance gig I mean like a job one thing can change your outlook and um, doing the show more specifically the series because the pilot was a fun experience it was two days it was like me and my pal doing this really funny thing and then it ends up on the telly like how fun is that but see doing the series it felt like a job it was amazing and it felt like that it was extremely hard it felt like a career and it was like something I want more of. So that definitely more work 
in that field, whether it's, it doesn't have to be a makeover show, but it's opened my eyes to like TV and we're talking about a young, you know, gay boy who's always dreamed of like the stage and all that. I've always thought I'd love to be on telly, always, but like it being a reality and actually doing it has made me think, no, like I'm going to try this. So, but so of course I'm looking forward to more stuff like that. Maybe hosting stuff with Alana, hosting stuff with Alana. Like we we spoke about a podcast and we went back and forward with ideas and um, just so many things. I have got so many goals. Sometimes that's a nightmare. Like being too, I find that being too ambitious can sometimes leave you feeling a little bit empty because if you've got, I always try to make sure I don't feel like I'm a master of all. What is what's the phrase? Master of all trades, but expert at none. Like, I don't want to be that. And sometimes I feel like I am, you know. I've got my finger in so many pies that none of the pies are fully cooked. Do you know what I mean? So I think, trying to stay realistic, I would love more work in the field of television because I loved it. And I feel like it's definitely a bit of me. And apart from that, normal things, Jordi. I'm looking forward to painting a face. Like, I'm so ready to beat someone's mug. Like, my hand misses my makeup brushes. It really does. Um... And I miss all the performers at Bohemia. I miss I miss just being on a table till one in the morning as well. So it's quite it's quite a weird path. Like I'm looking forward to dancing on a table in a, a nightclub, but at the same time I want I want to be on the telly. So it's quite a weird thing. But we'll see where it goes. Because do you know what? See, not knowing exactly where it's going has worked out for me so far. Mm-hmm. So we'll just we'll see where it continues to go. And what would you say to younger people who might be listening to? students who are kind of not sure what they're doing with their life and if they want to continue uni what would you say to them if they wanted to pursue drag makeup and sort of tv say um, obviously it goes without saying i know it sounds so cliche but i would say absolutely absolutely go for it like what what is holding you back why not try it because see if you see if you try it and you love it then you've found something you love see if you try it and you hate it you can cross it off the list don't worry about it anymore like having all these things in your head that you want to try or that you'd love to do you know it's one thing if you're being held back like financially or something like that like some things are out of your control but if it's in your control and it's in your grasp just just get it done get it done you might be absolutely terrible at it and that's absolutely fine and I think that is one thing that concerns me is there seems to be, as time goes on, I mean, I'm not an old, ma- old man, I'm only 26. I'm not saying this from a place of, like, I'm old. But as I get older, I see something changing. I see, like, because of social media and stuff like that, I see people not willing to fail out of embarrassment of other other things like social media or their peers and it's scary because I also see the people making that reality I see the people failing and and then being held to held accountable for it and that's wrong you should be able to try anything and fail anything and make as many mistakes and you have to be allowed to make mistakes and say things that are wrong and potentially offend people like you have you have to do it to get through life and I would say if there's anyone listening that really wants to try drag makeup anything like that I would say do it because you know what do it and do it well because if 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 you're shit at it that's absolutely fine too but also please please do not expect that to come to you tomorrow you are not going to walk into the best salon in town and have clients every saturday without the graft and you're not going to rock up on a drag stage and have people pay to come see you without putting the graft in so the younger the better that when i started at 19 I wish I wish I was 14 15 like the young queens I meet these days are like 16 doing it in their bedroom killing it with the makeup looks and the content I'm like god you will be 
you will be somebody when you're 26. Do you know what I mean? You'll, you'll catch up with us really fast. Yeah, I feel like shitting myself all the time when I see that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, we lose, not we, but, like, professional makeup artists are losing are losing gigs to 16-year-old girls doing it in their bedroom for a tenner. And you can't even, a lot of people would get upset about that. I know a lot of makeup artists personally that, like, really dislike that fact, but I don't. I mean, it is what it is. And you've got to make your money somehow. Who are you going to be angry at? The 16-year-old girl making a tenner? No, not her fault. Like, go on her. Like, you need to work out how to make it work. So, wow. yeah, yeah. Season two of Afternoon Delight, we always ask people, what did 2020 teach them and what are they grateful for in 2021? We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Ooh. What did 2020 teach me? Oh, that's good, Jordy. <laughs> um, I would say 2020 taught me that just because something bad happens or something comes to an end, literally like your whole life and all your jobs and all your opportunities, doesn't mean there's not a positive on the other end. Don't let yourself lie down for too long. I mean, we're all allowed. I would also say it taught me not to fall <laughs> at the same time, quite quite contradictory, but I'd always say don't allow yourself to fall like victim to feeling unproductive because the people around you are being productive i was watching drag queens put up content every single day and started to feel really like wow my name is going to be completely forgotten by the end of this because i'm not i cannot be bothered doing that or i've not got the energy or whatever you have to allow yourself that that time off and i would say the number one 2020 taught me is just to appreciate the people around you as well appreciate people it's definitely taught me to like appreciate family and friends as tacky as that is it really has like it's just taught me to like appreciate my friends and family. Don't take don't take your time out of lockdown for granted. Um, just because the world stops does not mean you stop aging. My God, that would be it, Jordi. That's it. Out of everything, that would be it. See, because the world stops, like you do not stop aging. So like figure it out, get something done. Like, <laughs> you know, that would be it. And what is 2021? What am I grateful for? Yeah. Friends and family and people around you that keep you grounded. You need that in your life. That's definitely it. Like, I do not know what I would have done without my super realistic, straightforward thinking boyfriend who, he does not care if I've got my own series on BBC. He's like, well, clock that and make sure you keep that in mind and be realistic here because blah, blah, blah. It's taught me to be grateful for the people around you that are brutally honest and, and and for as many people you may have giving it, yes, it's so important to have that few people giving it. Uh, think about what you're saying. Think about how could you make that better? It was good, but there was this bit. Uh, not sure how I felt about that bit. You need those honest people around you. So that's what I'm grateful for in 2021. My honest friends and my, and my loving family. Look at that. If you could choose one performance that you're proud of and is your favourite, what would it be? Oh. Oh. It's between... Oh. Right, well, obviously, Pride was amazing, Jordi, right? Pride was absolutely amazing. But I would actually say my, my friend's show... That, that show was meant so much to me. That was around about the same time as Pride, you know, not long after, it was August. Um, and it was it was a, a whole evening split into four different performances of me and my mind and my costumes and my dancers. And um, 
my first production show. That would be it. You know, having that screen up. There's this massive screen in Bohemia. It's like a almost like a, proje- a projector screen that looks down on all the tables and and it had like coming to the stage in one hour or coming to the stage in thirty minutes with my face and everybody in the crowd was there for me. It was I would say that my my first friend show, my that's, first friend show. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible, darling. You are absolutely amazing. I'm so glad we got to catch up. We round off every episode with mm-hmm. an iron quote. Oh. <gasps> you and I would love before we finish the episode for you to share your quote right now I'm not sure who said that because I'll tell you what I I always thought it was RuPaul now I'm not I'm not like a religious RuPaul fan I this was my favorite quote before I even knew what Drag Race was so I must have just heard it somewhere I thought it was RuPaul but I've done a bit of research and apparently he's just says it a lot we don't know who originated this quote but my favorite quote to go by is what other people think of me is none of my business. Wow. Or what, what what other people think of you is none of your business. That really, I say that to people all the time. And I always, when you when I first saw that, like what what quote, I was like, oh, Jordi, I'm not sure. I'm not much of a quoter. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like a pop this quote up on Instagram. But that is something I have always said is what other people think of me is none of my business. And it helps keep my mind straight, I think. Brilliant. That would be it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Blaze, darling, thank you so much for joining me afternoon delight. It's been absolutely Thank you so much. I had so much fun. Good gab, Jordy. Good gab. This was interesting. Really interesting. I forgot genuinely how much difficulty came with that week. You know, I was going through such a difficult time in my life and I did have people that I thought were my friends or my colleagues or people that I didn't even know. I had one guy that I slept with who I barely knew, right, message me, interrogating me on my jobs and I thought to myself, who does that? Who actually messages someone they've had a one-night stand with asking, why have you been booked as a host? I, I honestly felt like there was this, like, mafia hit out on me. It was really tragic. And it's been such a reminder for how much I used to put up with and how much I definitely won't put up with when things return. Pride are such an amazing organisation. I love working with them. They're just incredible. The team, sadly, this year can't put on Pride because of the way things are. That we just you can't put on an event like Pride where there was twenty seven thousand people at the one um, that me and Blaze done, and you just couldn't risk that. We cancelled it last year, um, and I was obviously just so upset um but I ended up DJing online and there were some things online for them which was amazing it was so great but that is the difficulty with this sort of stuff right now this pandemic is you know we're making some small sacrifices but some big sacrifices and I know a lot of LGBT people will be missing pride this year but you know what it will be a fucker of a pride next year when everything is back to normal hopefully I do have hope for that Blaze is just so incredible. Blaze and me never even mentioned that much that Blaze, you know, taught me how to do makeup. Um, I feel like I'm not doing her as much justice as she'd probably want, but I do feel like 
if you look at my makeup the last five years, there's definitely a change. Um, and I'm so excited to see Style Fixers and where all that goes with Jamie and Alana because Alana and Carson and Jamie are just the best duo. They're so hilarious together. Please do check that out on iPlayer because the first episode is there. And yeah, I would have seen Jamie doing TV a while ago, so I'm surprised that's them just finding their foot now on that on that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just such a great interview. And, you know, I'm pretty sure it was Madonna once said, you know, um, I'm tough, ambitious, and if that makes me a bitch, then okay. And that's why I think Jamie is the Madonna of drag, because, you know, Blaze doesn't take shit off anybody. And that's the way it should be. And professionalism equals pr professional work. So, yeah. Such an amazing interview. So great to have Blaze and Jamie on. Thank you to both of them. In and out of drag. Um, we have got one more episode left of season two of Afternoon Delight. And then I'm taking a much needed break. And it's going to be Emily Ingram from the Show Must Go Online played at Show Scotland, Birds of Paris Theatre. She's just all over the shop. Join me tomorrow with that episode. And until then, stay safe, put on some Beyonce, and remember to breathe. Afternoon delight. Real people, real stories. A local podcast for local